What a great song we just sang. That song is really, truly one of my favorite songs. I'm not just saying that. I'm not just making it up. It really is one of my favorite songs. Because when you think about it, the lyrics are a dangerous declaration. Jesus is more than enough, meaning sufficient, an abundance, an amplitude for every thirst and for every need that we have. No need or want for more because Jesus provides it all. Jesus is enough. Those words are dangerous because we live in a world that thirsts for things that can never reach the point of enough. Think about it with me for a minute. More wealth, success, comfort, freedom. We want more stuff. We want more recognition. We want more control. We want more independence. We want more Super Bowl championship, right? <laughs> Anyone see the? <laughs> Anyone see this this past week? Six, baby, six. Now that there, I got an even better picture. There you go, right there. Belichick, Lord of the Rings, over there. <laughs> now, is Jesus really enough? We might give a resounding yes if things in our life are stable. But what if things are not stable? Is Jesus enough for when the storms in your life come? Is Jesus enough when life hasn't turned out the way you have hoped? Is Jesus enough when someone has let you down? Or maybe you've lost somebody? Or when you've been betrayed or hurt? Or maybe you've completely blown it and you're not really sure how to move forward from here. Is Jesus enough? Do we believe that? And more importantly, do we live as if Jesus is enough? There's a well-known story in the Bible <clears throat> about a guy named Peter, and he was one of the guys that hung out with Jesus. And arguably, he was one, the one disciple who wrestled the most with whether or not Jesus was enough. As Jesus was gaining momentum in his ministry, people were starting to take notice of his teaching and his healings and his miracles. So much so that he was starting to attract quite, quite a bit of a crowd. Jesus had just finished feeding the 5,000 people with, disciples, with the disciples with just a couple loaves of bread and a couple fish. Peter, being one of, of Jesus' disciples, experienced the whole thing firsthand and was probably feeling quite confident in his status and understanding of who Jesus was at that moment. <laughs> I'm with this guy. <laughs> Life for Peter was stable. Jesus then sends the disciples on a mission to go to the other side of the lake, and they decide to jump into a boat and they set off ahead of Jesus while Jesus went off to pray. And uh, throughout the night, a storm started to set in. And early in the morning, that storm got pretty heavy. We're talking high winds, think nor'easter, perfect storm. It was, it was pretty crazy. The, the, the boat was knocking around. The disciples are knocking around. And uh, they were trying to stabilize the boat. They're trying to get their bearings uh, when all of a sudden they, they see someone out on the lake walking on the water. Can you kind of picture this for a minute? Someone walking on the water? 
I mean, I was, I was trying to understand from the disciples' perspective. I mean, think about it, kind of rolling around on the waves with those eyes on the look. All of a sudden, one of them's like, hey, guys, I don't know if you slipped something in my Yeti or not, but there's someone out in the water out there. <laughs> I mean, this was not something that you would just normally see. I mean, this was crazy. They thought they saw a ghost. But as their vision got clearer, they started to realize that that person on the water was Jesus. Peter calls out to Jesus and says, Jesus, if that's really you, tell me to come out on the water with you. And Jesus quickly replies, come on out. What? So Peter steps out of the boat, and for a little while, he starts walking on the water. And Peter's doing okay. But the story tells us that after a little while, the fear of the storm causes Peter to sink. And he freaks out. Help! Save me, Jesus! Jesus reaches out, grabs Peter, helps him back into the boat, and says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now we know what caused Peter to, to doubt. He feared the storm. That's what the story tells us. But we don't fully know what was going on in Peter's mind. But if I could conjecture here for a minute, my guess is Peter didn't think Jesus was enough in that storm. Now, we got to give credit to Peter. He got out of the boat. The other, other guys, they stayed in the boat. They were like, I ain't having none, none of that. <laughs> but Peter got out of the boat. So we have to give him some credit for at least taking a step and trying, right? Something amazing happens in that experience. Not only... Was it a growth experience for Peter? It was a growth experience for all of the disciples. Look at the last verse of the story in Matthew chapter 14. It says this. It says, when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, meaning Jesus, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Do you see what happened there? There was a transfer to trusting God and seeing God at work, that it caused a growth experience to them for them to declare that Jesus was enough. Now, the point of the story here is not about the miracle of walking on the water. Friends, please don't leave here and go try this story at home, all right? Don't go down to Duxbury Beach and start walking on the water. People are going to think you're weird, okay? Now, I fully believe that Jesus is capable of helping people to walk on the water. I'm not saying that, but um, the miracle was never meant to be worshipped, and neither was it the end result. The miracle was meant to point to something. And the point is, for, is that Jesus has the power to raise you up and sustain you to walk through the storms in your life. Peter walking on the water was a trust walk in faith. Did Peter trust that Jesus was enough? Maybe he did for a moment, but at some point it got a little shaky for him. And when Peter failed to trust, Jesus didn't just throw up his hands and say, you idiot, or sink and sw or swim, or go, you know, go back home. Jesus proved to be faithful by giving Peter, getting Peter back into the boat, and it became a growing experience for him. Now, this story illustrates our theme for the morning. We're in week two of a series called Getting Clear on Jesus, and 
The series is walking through the book of Colossians. Last week, um, Paul, Pastor Paul, talked about what the gospel is and how the gospel is built on the foundation of faith, hope, and love. Today, we're talking about how the gospel bears fruit. Now, the Apostle Paul emphasized the, this theme of bearing fruit in his prayer to the Colossians, which David read for you just a few moments ago. I want to read a couple verses of it again to help set us up where we're going. This is verses 9 and 10 of Colossians 1. It says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may also live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Now there are a couple things that I want to unpack here over the next few minutes. The first is, what do we mean when we talk about bearing fruit? Now if you're a new Christian or if you're starting to check Christianity out, sometimes some of the, the language or the mantras can come off a little bit weird. I mean, what, what are we talking about when we talk about bearing fruit? Am I going to start growing grapes out of my ears or something? Like, what, what's, what's going to happen here? The best image for growth can be tied to the agrarian growth culture. If you remember, G this was a time when Jesus, uh, in Jesus' day, this was a time where uh, uh, agriculture was one of their biggest industries. But more so than that, we often think about growth as something that is instant. Throw your oatmeal in the microwave, and in 30 seconds, you've got a growth bowl of oatmeal, right? We think, we think of growth as success or achievement or check the box off on what I have to do or follow a path or follow a program and I will grow and become better. But if we understand the agriculture of Jesus' day, if you understand how planting and farming work, it's something much different than what we often attribute growth to today. You see, growth in the, in, in the farming day required, depended on God. Think about it. Seasons, sun, Rain, weather, would it produce a good crop or would it produce a bad crop? A farmer might be able to dig up the ground. He might be able to take out all the rocks. Got, uh, he might be able to plant the seed. He might be able to pull the weeds. He might have a great machine that might be able to pull up the crop. But who's making that thing grow? We have to know that God is the one that makes things grow. So when we talk about bearing fruit, we have to understand that growing is something more of a process, a lifelong journey. Faith, growth, takes time to develop. We need fertile grounds and a nurturing environment in order for us to continue to grow in our faith. Now let me make sure you understand something, that I'm not saying that a nurturing environment and fertile ground means a simple life, or an easy life, or no problems, or stress-free. Think about Peter on the boat in that story. There was a storm there. That wasn't easy. The boat was rocking. 
they potentially could have got fallen in and drowned. But the nurturing culture, the environment, was Jesus being present. Jesus being there in order to guide Peter to not just safety, but to a growing experience. Faith needs to be cultivated over time. Just like Peter took a while to walk on the water. And even at times when he failed and he, he messed up and he didn't, he didn't do everything that God did, that he was expected to do or thought he should do, or Jesus intended him for to, to do, to trust. He continued to walk alongside and helped him grow in his faith. See, the truth is, like all living things, faith grows. It's tied to new life. It's tied to new birth. Faith starts small. And if we, have in Je- if we have faith in Jesus, there is one thing that's constant. We should and will always be changing and growing. We were never meant to stay the same. Jesus was continually on the move. And con- Jesus was continually challenging the disciples in their movement, in their growth. The question for us this morning is, are we growing healthy or are we growing unhealthy in our faith? What we have to understand is that God is the source of the knowledge and the wisdom and the understanding that Paul's talking about in this prayer. The very thing that Paul prays for that we need isn't something that we add on to our life. It's something that comes from God. God is the one that gives us the knowledge, gives us the wisdom, gives us the understanding. See, this goes all the way back to Genesis, the order of creation. We have to go back and see that at the beginning of the Bible, the first words of Genesis, in the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, Todd. In the beginning, God. God First, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Todd was second. God was first. God was the provider. Todd was the receiver of the provision. But what got messed up throughout the beginning part of creation was that Adam and Eve were deceived. Adam and Eve wanted to not just be the beneficiaries of God's provision, Adam and Eve wanted to be God. The serpent said, did God really say, don't eat? Surely you will not die. Oh, great. And in that transaction... In that decision, in that choice, that order of creation, provider, and beneficiary became inverted. Adam and Eve started to say, I'm God. I can do it my way. I make up the rules. I can do what I want. And that created a change, a shift, a difference that God has been for years, had for years tried to restore in in, in his people. We read all throughout the Old Testament of Israel 
of trusting God and then doing their own thing. Trusting God and then doing their own thing. So much so that rather than experiencing the wonder of God and his provision, they wandered through the desert. They wandered through the woods whenever they chose to do it their own way. Rather than trusting in the things that God provides, they filled themselves with things that didn't last and became empty. They were empty because they were temporary. They lasted for a little while and then they didn't last anymore. In other words, they worshiped the provision from the Lord rather than worshiping the Lord of the provision. Do you see the difference there? Do you see what's happening? The gospel, the grace that comes from God, is that we have unmerited favor. We don't deserve anything. But God's heart for you and me was to restore, redeem, bring back to life that which was dead. So this process of shifting through Jesus, Jesus is the one that, res that is the way that God has redeemed his people, that we would learn to depend on Jesus, trust Jesus, walk with Jesus, rather than seek independence. No longer us in control, but God in control. Restoring that relationship between God and man, between, between you and God. Henry Cloud, who wrote the book, How People Grow, says this. He says, in redemption, we reconcile things to the way they were supposed to be. We become dependent and give up our independent stance before God and others. We give up trying to control things we cannot control and yield to and trust God's control. Also, we regain control of what we were created to control in the first place, which is ourselves. We regain the fruit of self-control. We give up the role of playing judge with ourselves and others by giving up judgmentalism, condemnation, wrath, shaming, and so on, that we are free to experience ourselves and others as we really are. So, by not being God, we are free to be who tr we truly are and allow others to be who they truly are as well. We stop redesigning life and making new rules and instead live the life God designed us to live. Growing, bearing fruit is adopting God's way. It's allowing us to no longer depend on ourselves depend on our ways or the, what we think is right, but depend on what God has established for us in that order of creation. And as we live that out, we begin to experience God more, we trust God more, and there is a faith that continues to grow and flourish in our life. It brings life. No longer is our life small by what, by what we see as the standard, it's by God's eternal standard. One of the key factors to this is understanding that we are not just talking about information. We are talking about wisdom. Wisdom is not simply knowing the right answers, knowing what God wants, but it's the transformation. It's 
acting and responding and doing what God wants. It's not just knowing the right answer. It's the truth information that's changing our choices and decisions. Don't believe me between information and wisdom? Think about a teenager who, is, who knows the right answer, has heard of a million times, don't do this, do that, make good choices, but opts to go the other way. Teenagers, if you're in this room this morning, my challenge for you is embrace God's standard. Be dependent on God in your life. Don't be stupid and make bad choices. Parents, if you're here this morning and you have teenagers, I can tell you firsthand, we love our kids very much. And we want nothing but the best for them. And we don't want them to make bad choices. And sometimes we'll jump in to control that so that they don't make bad choices. But if there's a word of hope this morning, know that as much as you love your, te- your teenager, your children, God loves them more. And sometimes part of our transformation, our wisdom is to trust in God's dependence that God is doing the work in your teenager's life, in your child's life. Even though it's not working out maybe the way you think it should go. God is sovereign. God is in control. And this doesn't go just for teenagers making stupid choices. Someone who deals with an addiction, who knows that I I, I try so hard to, to not make that same mistake over and over and over again. It's the difference between the information and the wisdom of making good choices. Or someone who may have a false understanding of God, who's lived life thinking God one way, but really God is something different. Maybe we feel like God won't accept us. Maybe we feel like God won't forgive us. Maybe we, feel, maybe we hold on to something, some hurt or habit or hang up for so long that we just can't get in step in rhythm with God. And we continue to depend on ourselves. That's the difference between, and, and maybe we've heard it a hundred times, information, but the wisdom is when we turn to depend on God. This is a process of change. There's a change in our priorities, a change in our expectations. It's a change in our assumptions. We need to, in this process, it's having a new view on God. And it's, and it's a process of dying to self, dying to what I think, dying to what I want, dying to what I need, dying to what I think should go, the way things should go. It's not just dabbling in Jesus. It's becoming fully immersed and fully dependent on what God wants for our life. Jesus said in Luke 9, 21, said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. No more about what I want. Jesus is enough. He says in John 15, 5, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Think about those words as Peter was standing on that water, walking, And all of a sudden, apart from Jesus, he was nothing as he started to sink. Jesus was no longer enough. 
Tulian Tavijan, who is Billy, one of Billy Graham's grandsons, wrote this book called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. And here's what he writes. He says, bearing fruit requires death. Jesus said we must die in order that we might live. Daily Christian living, in other words, is daily Christian dying. Dying to our trivial comforts, soul-shrinking conveniences, arrogant preferences, and self-centered entitlements, and living for something much larger than what makes us comfortable and safe. God does everything through people who understand that they're nothing. And God does nothing through those who think they're everything. This is the process of redemption. God bringing things back to life, bringing people back to life. There is a death to ourself. There's a death to our desires. But bearing fruit is taking on the new life with Jesus. And the result of that is that we learn to live a life worthy of the Lord. Because we're learning to depend on Him, we're pleasing Him, and we're growing in more knowledge in the direction that God wants us to go. Bearing fruit, then, is showing evidence of knowing God's will and living it out in our life. There is a direct correlation between Jesus being enough and the gospel bearing fruit in our life. See, it can only be Jesus. It can't be anything else because God provides the way and changes that order of creation. So when Jesus is enough, that's when we bear fruit. Does that make sense? Do you see that? How does this happen? We need to depend on the power of God. We need to depend on the power of God. Here's what it says in verse 11. Be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience. Friends, first off, understand that there is power in the living God. There is power in our living God. God is able to bring creation into being out of nothing. Remember back Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. There wasn't anything else. And out of nothing, God created the heavens and the earth. That's power. And we have access to that power. God's power has the ability to bring the dead to life, has he has complete control and authority and a dominion over all forces of this world. Go back to that story of Peter for a minute and think about that storm. That storm was powerful. Someone could have died. But God was more powerful. And in the process, Peter learned to walk in step and in rhythm with God. Henry Cloud, in his book, again, uh, How People Grow, says, Grace means that we receive the gifts we need for growth to occur. We don't willpower our way there. See, what happens in our, as Christians, what the, the mistake that we often make is we think, oh, I just got to try harder. I just got to do more. I just got to dig down in and pull myself up on my boot, from my bootstraps. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is learning to transfer our control over to God, to trust him, 
See, when we embrace God's wisdom, it becomes less of us feeling like we're in control, having to do and achieve something, and it's more like opportunity, and it becomes more like opportunities to trust Jesus. So it's, it's going through life. It, it doesn't mean we just act like, you know, we just kind of say, hey, God's awesome, I'm a Christian, amen, and just go off and do whatever you want. But it's walking in step with the power, the Spirit of God, who provides opportunities in which we need to learn to trust and respond and grow. Think about it for a minute. Peter was not out looking for that experience in the boat. He didn't jump in the boat and say, hey, tonight I'm going to walk on water, dudes. Get ready. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) But when the opportunity came, he had to learn to trust in the power of God. What in your life right now feels out of control? What in your life lacks power? What in your life is missing the wisdom and the power of God. We, ha- we learn, part of our bearing fruit is learning to give God over, over, hand over our control and trust him for his power to lead us through. One of the best ways we can do that is we need to continue to trust God by praying. Now, that's not just some Christian nicety of like, oh, oh, just pray. Okay, okay, I've heard that a million times. But is it possible that we worry more than we do pray? I read this awesome meme this week uh, by Craig Rochelle. He says, if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. See, our first step is not say, what am I going to do? It's not... What has to get done? It's not, what am I going to, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to make it right? The first step in bearing fruit and trusting in the power of God is going to God in prayer. Now, it doesn't mean, I, some of you guys might be thinking, I'm not a good prayer, holy one, holy one Kenobi. That, that, that's not what we're, <laughs> look at what Peter did. Help! <laughs> I'm drowning, I'm dying, help! <laughs> Sometimes our prayers can be just simple as that. God, I can't do it. I, I, I don't have the power. But when we do that, God hears that prayer. And he answers that prayer. And he responds to that prayer with power. It may not be the way you think it should happen. See, oftentimes we go to God and we say, God, I want you to do this, 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 and you got 10 minutes. (laughs) Or I'm coming for you. (laughs) (laughs) And oftentimes we want a straight shot. But oftentimes God leads us through a process. It might not be what you want Jesus to do, but it's what what you need Jesus to do that we begin to, tr- we continue to trust. Finally, we need to learn to give thanks to God in all circumstances. Here's what it says in verse 12. It says, give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. 
Give joyful thanks to the Father. Friends, if there's one thing that you leave here today with, know this truth. God is for you. He's not against you. God is for you, not against you. Say it with me. God is for me, not against me. Say it again. God is for me, not against me. Stop blaming God. Stop blaming God. It's not God's fault. But God is the one who will lead you and guide you through. I have talked to countless people who have gotten hung up on that idea that God is against them. God is, God is mad at them for something that happened 20 years ago, and they can't, they can't even get out of their own way and experience what God wants to give, the, give you because we feel like God is upset with us. And when we're upset, when we feel like someone's upset with us, what do we do? We get right upset back. And we start blaming God. God is for you. He's not against you. Give him your hurt, your habit, your hang-up. Whatever it is. Whatever that hurt, habit, or hang-up may be. See it as the image of, G, of Peter in that water. That hurt, habit, hang-up is a storm. And Jesus says, come, walk on the water. Walk to me. Walk with me. Walk in rhythm. Experience the ride of your life. Disney don't have a better, a better ride than walking with Jesus on the water. And when we do... We learn to grow through those circumstances and experiences. The second thing, remember that you are an heir to the Father. As a father, I want nothing better than to give good things to my kids. And God wants nothing better than to give you good things. When we trust in that, God is for us and not against us. God's goal is not to knock us out and knock us down and to end our lives. God wants us to embrace and depend on him as an heir of the Father. We are one of his children. And just like you would never push one of your children away, God won't push his children away. And then finally, remember that God uses everything that is happening in your life to teach you to depend on him, and to walk with him in faith. Suffering is a reality of the Christian life. Suffering is a reality of the Christian life. It's not something that God wants to do. It's not something that God's looking down, looking down and saying, <laughs> let me take him out today. But because we live in a fallen world, because the world is broken by sin, there is suffering that we will have to endure. And if you read throughout the New Testament, you read through the letters, through Peter, through Colossians, there is a challenge to continue to persevere through the challenges and the suffering and the, the pain and the things that we go through. Jesus is saying, don't give up, I'm enough. We read in Philippians that God is, is working all things. I'm sorry, that's Romans 8, 28. So I'll start there. 
God is working all things for the good for those who love him. Paul wrote in Philippians 3 that he who began a good work, the start of depending on God, the start of learning that Jesus was enough, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus. Friends, you don't need anything else but Jesus. And when we, when we embrace that, when we live that, our lives are no longer small. Our lives become full of life and hope, faith, endurance. And we are able to, that's when we bear fruit. Not just for ourselves, but people see something different. Rather than see people who are falling apart and breaking apart and falling into the traps and the pitfalls of life, they see something different. And that gospel bears fruit externally as well as internally. Let's pray. God, thank you that your son Jesus is enough for us. And thank you that we can trust you with all circumstances in our life. God, we confess. If we're here today and we haven't depended on you, but rather we've depended on our own strength or our own wisdom or our own uh, uh, power, God, we confess that to you. And we ask that you would forgive us. Help us to change in that order of creation from us trying to be God or us being God or us being in control to us trusting you. And thank you that you provided the way because you're the one that's sovereign, you're the one that knows, you're the one that created, and you're the one that knows what we need. So God, teach us to surrender. Show us as we take steps with you that we're on the right path. Encourage us. Give us hope. Thank you for the community of believers here that we can encourage one another and spur one another on toward good deeds. Thank you that this is a community that is continuing to grow and to thrive, to bear fruit, fruit that will last. We love you, Lord, and we trust you. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. We're going to finish our service this morning with this final song, Amazed, just reflecting and singing and de declaring to God that we're amazed of how much he loves us. And as we do that, we're going to ask the ushers to come forward. We will receive this morning's offering, and then we'll leave here today. Thank you. You did.